Hello, everyone, and welcome to Film Fiends, the podcast where we talk about all things related to horror films. My name's Alex. And I'm Bryant. I'd like to thank you all for joining us for our very first episode, which, if everything goes to plan, should be releasing on Halloween. Exactly. That was kind of our impetus. That's kind of what's been driving us. Yeah, that's been the little goal. Yep. You got to have a little bit yep. of the Halloween spirit. Exactly. Uh, Halloween 2020, looking a little bit different than other years, but we still want to bring some festivity to you guys and celebrate a little bit in our own way as well. Exactly. I mean, there's so many Halloween things. Like, we've talked about scary movies, oh, yeah. talk about the jack-o'-lanterns. It's like, oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, those things aren't going anywhere. And in fact, we'll be, we're going to be getting to that a little bit later as well. Uh, actually closing up the podcast with some talk about Halloween traditions and things that we like to do on this very fun night. Uh, but first, I'd like to start by explaining a little bit to you all uh, what Film Fiends is all about. Um, so like I said, we are a podcast. We're going to be talking uh, primarily about horror movies. Uh, we're going to be delving into kind of the culture that surrounds horror, um, different genres, themes that pervade the genre, uh, things like that. So we will do a little bit of like movie to movie reviews as well. Uh, but a lot of the times we're going to be trying to delve into kind of a specific topic. Uh, to give you an example, today's topic is going to be what makes a horror movie good. Kind of a big thing to unpack there. Yeah, no kidding. That's kind of, uh, that kind of gets at the heart of uh, all of it. I mean, Jesus, you read any horror movie review and you kind of have to say your rules about uh, what you're looking for in the first place. Yep. Before you can talk about what it's even, uh, whether it's even any good. Absolutely. Uh, especially when we're talking about horror movie reviews. I think we just recently stumbled upon one that started with, I don't like horror movies. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a little bit tough. Uh, part of the goal of starting with uh, what makes a horror movie good uh, is to give you guys a little bit of an idea of our preferences, the things that we enjoy in movies. And so we can kind of just build on that uh, as you all listen to our various topics. So hopefully you'll get a good idea of like what kind of viewers we are as well. Exactly. It's not going to give uh, do any good to uh, just say a bunch of opinions if you have no framework for uh, exactly what we're looking for. Right. Everyone's right. their own kind of viewer, especially with horror movies. You can find that there's a lot of a uh, lot of different things people can be looking for. Also, a lot of people that just will straight up say, I don't like horror movies, which is makes it even, an even more divisive genre. Exactly. I actually kind of can't wait for that to be a uh, be a topic later on. Oh, doing a little uh, spoiler yeah, doing a little, here. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. That was might be one we're going to talk about later. People that say they don't like horror movies, but uh, I think we're both in agreement that everybody has something that can be defined as horror. That they're, uh, <laughs> Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. The uh, the most successful Netflix show. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It, it, it is horror, folks. Don't get it twisted. It's not a uh, you know blood and guts, but it's it's definitely spooky. Exactly. All right. So with that established, uh, we wanted to real quick give you a little bit of info about ourselves as well. Uh, so like I said, my name is Alex. Uh, Co-host here is Bryant. Uh, we've known each other for, what, about six years now? Gosh, yeah. I guess Something it has like been that, that long. Yeah, that long. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we initially bonded over the fact that not only are we both big horror fans, but we're both horror writers as well. Uh, around that time, we had both been working on some short stories, had some things in the backlog. And so uh, we swapped uh, stories with each other and gave each other some feedback. And I mean, one thing led to another. And nowadays, whenever I have a project, especially a horror project, I'm almost always uh, talking to Bryant about it, getting some feedback, doing some edits, that kind of thing. Exactly. No, whenever whenever I get something read, uh, written out, finally, uh, Alex is always the first person I hit up to kind of take a look at what I've done. Uh, sometimes, you know, because we do have the similarities, but also because we do have our differences in audience. Kind of taste. Um, 
which is going to be kind of great for this podcast too. And it's why I appreciate his feedback because he's uh he is not me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Don't you worry, hey. dear hey. audience. <laughs> you will soon come to understand the differences between Bryant and I, uh, because like he said, we have a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, we're very good friends, but it's it's funny the things that we can get divisive on. Um, so yeah, we had tried to for a while come up with some sort of project that we could collaborate on. Um, but something that made it difficult was that we have very similar skill sets. Uh, we're both writers. Uh, he does a bit more cinematography than I do. Sure. Uh, that kind of thing. But when we would talk about working on things together, it would be like, well, are we going to co-author a script or a novel? Uh, we both like comics as well. So that's kind of been in the talks. But it was difficult to find something where we weren't stepping on each other's toes. Uh, so... Just recently, we had come up with the idea of, okay, well, what about a podcast? Basically, all we have to do is talk about something that we both love. So uh, here we are. Exactly. No, I, Alex had mentioned the idea a couple weeks back, and I just immediately started doing research. And, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Watching horror movies, <laughs> yeah. realized that, um, boy, if that's what you're asking me to do, I can, uh, I can do that. <laughs> yes, and let me just let me just say I definitely appreciate uh, that that level of commitment mm -hmm. that you have. Um, I think uh, that also probably will become apparent in terms of the amount of preparation that's gone into this. Uh, Bryant has got a big notebook in front of him full of notes, um, <laughs> and uh, I have like my phone mm -hmm. with a note app yeah. open. Uh, and you know, I think that we'll both have uh, a lot to contribute to this the, the discussion. Excuse me. Um, so yeah, we're, we're oh yeah, no, happen. no, definitely. I mean, you did the vast majority of the actual leg work. <laughs> I I sat on the couch and thought deep thoughts. So <laughs> I mean, what other leg work is there for a podcast? Okay, sure. Let's be honest. Here. Exactly. Thinking deep thoughts. <laughs> Alrighty, so we're gonna go ahead and move on to our main topic, which, as I mentioned before, is what makes a horror movie good. Yep. Very big topic to unpack. We're gonna do our best to get through it. Um. At a brisk pace, you know, we're not going to, I say that because we could sit here and talk about this for probably upwards of six hours if we wanted to. Oh, sure. Um, absolutely. But we're going to condense that into something that uh, is still entertaining for you guys and kind of gets to our point uh, a little bit faster than us just, you know, rambling, having a beer in the garage, which is definitely how this podcast came to be. Exactly. So uh, we're going to start off with defining a horror movie. Uh, in order to tell you all uh, what we think makes a horror movie good, uh, we have to tell you what we think makes a, a horror movie. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start off here. Uh, and with each of the topics, I'm going to go ahead and lead and then probably let Bryant uh, take it from there. But um, for me, there's kind of a couple of big pillars that make something, in my mind, a horror movie. Um, the first being that it has to be trying to scare me. To put this in a slightly different way, um, we often talk about film as emotion. Uh, and when you might have the action film as wanting to excite you, uh, the romance film wanting you to feel love, uh, the tragedy, of course, wanting you to feel sad, um, horror is a very pure genre to me in the sense that if it is a horror movie, it should be about fear. Uh, and what that means for me as a viewer is that it needs to be trying to scare me. Um, so that's one of uh, probably my biggest, actually, uh, pillar for uh, what makes a movie a horror movie uh, for me. Um, the next one being that, uh, for it to fall cleanly into a horror movie, uh, it has to have some kind of horror aesthetic or imagery to it. Um, and this relies a little bit on the tropes of the genre, uh, which means that it's a little bit, um, 
like cyclical. It's a little bit uh, eating its own tail in that sense. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be blood and guts or ghosts. It just has to be showing me something that um, unnerves me uh, or scares me or, or uh, creeps me out or freaks me out in some way that has to be present in the imagery as well. Oh, absolutely. No, it's probably the most identifiable aspect and kind of what people look for. I mean, if you look about why genres exist, it's so that the studios can kind of give people recognizable things. It's that you're you're kind of selling somebody that fear experience. It's what what people are signing up for. Absolutely. absolutely. So that definitely defines the genre because that's yep. that experience that you're trying to sell. That's, you know, yep. why Hollywood makes things in genres. Exactly. And that might sound like a short list for me. But as you'll learn when I talk more and more about horror movies, they're really, really important. Um, I'm going to give you a big example here of something that should probably be classified as a horror movie, but for me did not work as a horror movie, and that's Midsummer. Um, it has a lot of imagery and a lot of aesthetic that is scary, and on some level, I think that there is an element of fear present, but the core of the movie, I think, is not trying to scare you. Uh, and it, it ended up being a little bit of a misfire for me because of that, uh, and that's kind of a whole other discussion. Uh, my understanding is that uh, Ari Aster went through a really bad breakup uh, while making the film and had decided to kind of shift the focus away from being his take on kind of like a slasher uh, to more of his take on a breakup film. And I feel like that is really apparent in the final cut. Um, sorry, I actually mean theatrical cut. I have not seen the director's cut. That's like way longer. Um, so oh, that's sure right. If, that exists. It, I know. We need to, I've we need been, to get I've on I've been it. meaning. I actually just rewatched Midsummer a month or two ago. We need, to, um, we need to get on. Are that. you ready for the the third disagreement? I think Midsummer is brilliant. Yes, it's uh, it's a brilliant film. Don't um, get me wrong; it really is. But I'm just I wanted to bring that up because I wanted I think it really illustrates how strict those pillars are for me. They have to really fit into those two categories for me to say yes, this is a horror movie. And straying from them in one way or the other is going to have me raising some eyebrows. So if you were to have, like talk with me in a casual conversation and mention Midsummer as a horror movie, I wouldn't argue with you on it. Um, but just for the sake of trying to make these definitions uh, as you know thorough as possible, uh, that's that's kind of where it lands for me. Yeah, exactly. No, that was really the challenge, especially when you're talking about genres and anything on the weird fiction scale of the the sci-fi fantasy horror can be really difficult to disentangle at times. Where do you draw the lines? Uh, and that, for me, was what stuck with me the most. Um, I felt like I got down this, this endless rabbit hole on how do you define genre when I started to try to differentiate between thriller and horror. Right, like, because right. Because I feel like there is this line in your head of, yeah, of when one's doing one thing and when's the other, but uh, it's true. They're coming up close. with a concrete definition is actually really, really difficult. It is. It, it is. Took, took me some time. Yes. But so it's definitely less. I, I, I'm coming up with less of a thesis definition mm -hmm. on my side and more of a set of principles that I think a movie has to follow in order to fall into the genre. Um, but yeah, I think that's actually that that's me. If you want to take it from there. Sure. I think I did come up with a little more of a thesis. Mm. Well, uh, but we'll get there. Um, so All right. We'll, pardon. Pardon this little lecture coming up. <laughs> we're going on. Uh, we're going on Bryant's journey. folks. Exactly. Oh, crack open your beer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's time. Uh, but yeah, no, before before I want to define horror genre, I kind of want to define genre in and of itself. Wow, okay. um, how, okay. how do you tell when something is kind of a distinct 
genre of its own and not just kind of a collection of elements that are repeated. Uh, as much as these repeated elements can define genres, like you look at Westerns and it's got cowboys and horses and outlaws sure, sure. and the way that uh, horror movies have spooky cabins in the woods and psycho killers and Absolutely. ghosts and final girls. and Hey, but spooky cabins in the woods and psycho killers could also be no country for old men. I'm just saying. That's true. Uh, so, yeah, uh, looking, I think more a more academic study would call those elements a, a semantic uh, definition of genre okay. where you have a big list of things that you would find in those movies mm. there's elements or attitudes locations characters these kinds of repeated elements that are recognizable uh, and then the other side of that would be a more syntactical definition of genre where you take all of those elements and it's about what do those add up to what do what do we make those narratives into? What what is the kind of the larger point of those? Hmm. So you can kind of look at genre from those two opposing points of view, and it's not like one's right and the other's wrong. It's actually for each question that comes up, you can kind of look at it two different ways, and kind of find you know almost two different answers uh, for a lot of kind of splitting hairs. It kind of depends on how you're looking at it. And I'd have one guess. Mm -hmm. as to probably what's coming up. Yeah. And, and my guess is that the best horror movies probably do really well at both. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, kind of the thing with genre in the first place is you can't just right, right. put all of these elements that you recognize from your favorite horror movies together and just hope that they carry weight. Zombieland, I, maybe? Yeah. Something along that line. And, but no, but you have to have some sort of different, uh, different approach to it or what you're building it up into. Mm. So for me, like a syntactical definition of horror would be like horror presents a change or die narrative that depends on an introspective analysis of one's own faults to defeat an external monster, which is typically a mirror of an internal monster. Wow, that's a thesis. Yes. So that is my thesis statement. So I guess let's start at the beginning. Um, Sounds great, though. I mean, I yeah, yeah, change or die narratives. Now, most, like, all narratives in their essence are about change. Yes. Characters change in the end. It's kind of what's mapped out. Hero's journey, that kind of thing. Exactly. Horror is extreme in that it presents this very stark change or die choice. Got it. The survivor character in horror movies is usually going to be the one that recognized something about themselves, changed it, and were able to overcome the killer, the ghost, the monster, whatever. The last girl. So, the last girl. Them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And most of the victims were be people that are kind of stuck who they are or unable to change. Right. That's why if you so often start with a cast that's a group of shitty college kids. Yes. Uh, at this uh, point in their life where they should be changing into better adults, I guess, is kind of the, the metaphor that they'd use. Yeah. And I don't I've I've always been uncomfortable with the kind of the punishment readings. Right. Uh, so it's very kind of careful to keep a meta textual kind of distance from it. You still that, want it to be tasteful. Exactly. You definitely want it to be tasteful. Um, the monsters are and I say monsters kind of very loosely here. Right. Because uh, there can definitely be human monsters There can kind of be. Uh, yeah, a little more esoteric monsters at times as Environmental, well. Environmental. Yeah. Environment, exactly. That's a good. It's a good one. Um, 
So yeah, the external monster that you're dealing is usually a mirror of something inside, something inside that you have to recognize. And it's usually this narrative of recognizing kind of a bad part of yourself. It's a journey into a subconscious to kind of recognize some aspect of psychology or your own self and kind of deal with it, kind of to bring it up into the light and to confront it. Um, And that's always that's usually represented by an external force. There's no shortage of horror movies that use the external threat as an analogy for things like depression or Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, really your internal fears, of course, uh, mental illnesses, things like that. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. And bringing it back to Midsummer, because I was kind of curious you brought that up. Uh, Exactly. for me, that would totally work with my definition. That's sure. just a story of people that are unable to change. Totally. Uh, it's the people, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. It's what happens kind of when everyone dies at the end is that those were characters that were un, unable to complete their journey and kind of suffer the consequences. I actually really like that, that. reading uh, as well. And you may be able to get me to agree that it's a horror movie, but I don't know that you'll get me to agree that it's a good horror movie, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit more later. It mm-hmm. trips up a couple of the the things that I like in my horror movies as well. So I'm actually maybe willing to concede the fact that Midsummer could be seen as horror. It's just not um, maybe mm-hmm. my horror movie. So. That's true. And when it comes to these kind of split cases, I'm somebody that's going to argue for a syntactical kind of definition. If it's the larger meaning kind of aligns to something horror, if kind of more aligns to my thesis, you can really do it playing with any sort of genre conventions you want. Um, I would find something like Alien or The Thing, classic sci-fi horrors that are really using sci-fi imagery and tropes and characters. Um, But I think they build those up into a horror story. And I'm actually going to completely agree with you there. And it doesn't run afoul of either of my pillars either because Mm -hmm. they're both very obviously trying to scare you and they use very horrific imagery. Exactly. So that's always been kind of a fun, different way to kind of look at genre. And especially when you kind of get these these cross genre ones where are we are we playing with recognizable elements or have we built them into something that kind of you can recognize in other genres? Yeah, can I mention again Zombieland, for example, like just using mm-hmm. horror elements but not attempting to make a horror movie kind of thing? Yeah, you know? sure. I think that's where you you kind of end up on the other end of that. Exactly. And um, I think uh, to a counterpoint to that, I think Shaun of the Dead, when it winds up that he just has his best friend kind of chained up and they're going to like keep living... You know, it's funny that they're just like, you know, just stoner burnouts that are kind of zombies. But it's still kind of a little kind of a freaky thing that they're in such arrested development that it would, yeah, like not have any difference. I I think you can certainly read it that way. I feel like it was just purely played for laughs. I think maybe they did have some intent in that scene to unsettle you, uh, Mm -hmm. but it did not unsettle me. So Mm -hmm. I think... It was a little bit of a swing and a miss, but I do agree with the, the basic idea. Okay, totally. Uh, yeah, so that is my that's my definition of a horror movie. Perfect. I hope. All right. All right. Yeah, I hope that works. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I think it was it was great personally, hmm. and I think again that's uh, we're gonna keep bringing this up, especially because we're just kind of introducing ourselves to you guys. But um, big difference between uh, the two definitions there, uh, and something that I think is going to add a lot of a lot of fun uh, to the show. Um, so going from there, we're going to use both of our definitions of what we think makes horror good. 
And from that, we're going to talk about, oh, I'm sorry, both of our definitions of what makes a horror movie. And then we are now going on to what we think makes a horror movie good, um, kind of using those definitions as a, as a framework. Um, so I'm going to start here. What qualities does a good horror movie have? Is kind of what I asked myself as I was thinking about this. Um, and I'm definitely a very opinionated watcher. Uh, I have very strong feelings on whether I like movies or not. Uh, and usually right when I finish watching them, I have a pretty good idea of like, okay, either this landed for me or it didn't. There are some things that do merit rewatches, uh, some things that I've been too scared to rewatch, <clears throat> hereditary, uh, and, uh, you know, some others that I just don't have any interest in rewatching. But that aside, um, my big things, uh, what makes a horror movie good? It has to, first of all, succeed at being scary. Um, so going to my first pillar of it has to be trying to scare me. You have to also close that loop by actually scaring me. Um, there are, and that's going to be probably the most, um, how do I put this? The most biased of my points because no one can really decide what scares me except me. Um, it's but a I, real make or break point too. It is a it's make kind of, or it's, break point. It's an point. all or nothing I mean, and, proposition. Well, but. and I think I can usually explain and argue for why something is successfully scary even past whether it works for me or not sure um so i think i'm gonna argue that i think that's a valid point even if it's very opinionated based on my tastes um i think also to make a good horror movie you want to have plenty of dark intense or interesting imagery i say that because i have watched uh some horror movies in the somewhat modern trend of what's called quiet horror uh one of the big ones being it follows i think sort of helped codify the genre in a modern way um, and it follows actually did have some good imagery here and there, but some of the more quiet horror I watched, um, was so subdued that you ended up with a movie that certainly was trying to scare you and maybe had some horror themes, but just didn't have enough visually going on to actually get anywhere. Um, so for me, I think you do want to go more all in than holding back when it comes to showing me dark intense or interesting imagery and of course you can get there with gore and blood and ghosts and whatnot but it doesn't have to be that it just has to be something that i'm not going to be seeing in other genres i think that's what's important for me um no that's true that's a big uh for any sort of weird fiction just to kind of open it up again it's boy it's the the things that you are not going to run across in everyday life it's yep. the the completely fantastical yes Exactly. Uh, is, yeah, is a big is a big seeker of yeah, exactly. It's what people seek with this these kind of genre works. And that's actually a big thing for me just as a, a an audience member, a viewer, a reader in general, is that uh, I tend to really gravitate toward things that probably could not happen in real life. Um, those are the stories that interest me more than anything. And I love when horror um takes those premises and really cranks them up. That's actually why um, paranormal horror is my favorite subgenre of horror. Uh, uh, or supernatural, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, the third thing for me, horror for me really shines when it's taking itself seriously and doesn't tell too many jokes. There's a laugh barometer for me. Whereas <laughs> if there is, if I'm laughing too much during a horror movie, then it stops feeling like a good horror movie to me. There's a lot of really fun horror comedy things. Cabin in the Woods being the biggest example of something that I absolutely adore and is not really meant to be super scary. It's kind of my uh, iconic horror comedy film. Um, but then you have things like, I'm going to say it again, Midsummer. I laughed out loud probably a dozen times watching Midsummer, uh, And I don't know how intentional it was because it was mostly during the very long scenes 
where the Swedish yeah Swedish yeah. folk were like dancing and doing silly rituals and stuff. And while it was very in character and made a lot of sense in the narrative, it took me out of the experience because I was no longer feeling tense or getting scared. It was a tonal break for me. Um, so if you want to put it like that, I think being totally consistent is very, very important in horror, uh, important in every type of film, but I think especially so in horror. Especially if you're trying to have that sort of controlled build. Yes. That's something yes. that's thrown me off a lot. Absolutely. Is Something that's trying to kind of spoon feed you the rising tension. Right. Uh, but boy, then they'll drop it once. And yep. as soon as it's dropped or it's broken, you're, you don't just go back to where you were. Absolutely. On that rising scale. It, yep. Yeah, you kind of broke it. So I think there's certain things when they're trying to absolutely envelop you as a, uh, with a tone, that'll break it. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, so imagine with me for a second if you're watching The Shining, one of the most like slow burn hypnotic mm. Uh, kind of uh, horror films ever. It's obviously a horror film, but if about halfway through the film, you know, you're getting Jack Nicholson starting to talk to himself, uh, going crazy, seeing ghosts, and then they just like drop in a joke, it's going to completely take you out of that experience. And there's some things you may laugh at uh, at The Shining and midway through, but I would bet that you are laughing uncomfortably. You're not actually having fun. This is true. Jack's, Jack's got a couple moments when he's, uh, he's he talking to he the does. ghost bartender exactly in the bathroom. exactly what I was thinking of. That's he's, the exact scene I was thinking he's of. He's got some Jack looks he that I, I know I know meme pretty hard, at least. Jack, so, <laughs> Jack if you're listening, we, we, lo we, we love, love you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, oh, oh man, man, that's incredible. Um, that's great. So, yeah, and that's a, another one that's really strong for me in an opinion kind of way is that um, if you're going to ask me what makes a, a really good horror film for me specifically, um, I don't even want jokes. Don't start out with a, a funny, uh, sort of, you know, motley crew of college kids that you guys are all joking about smoking weed and doing whatever and kill them off. Do still really enjoy those movies. But if we're talking about my ideal horror movie, I want you to be tense and serious. I don't even want any comedy. Um, that's just me though. That's, that's, uh. Uh, uh, taking that point and taking it to its farthest uh, conclusion. No, that's true. I think I just cast a much uh, broader net uh, yep. Yep. for the genre, um, I right. guess. Uh, for me, the comedy stuff, if it's working into some of the subversive parts of it, boy, that's that's kind of what I'm here for. And if we talk about I, something I, like Excision, yeah, <laughs> I know that's pretty much exactly what you're talking about. Pretty um, much. Yeah, there's been those... Uh, I think as you'll soon learn when we get to favorite movies, there's yep. been a new strain of so awkward comedies that kind of get worse and worse until they're uh, until they're pretty clear. Territory. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and I I love those movies to death. And honestly, me too. Yeah. I'm actually going to say that I think Excision is a horror movie, and we yep. will get to that. Oh yeah. Um, but that's actually kind of ties into the point a little bit because. When I say something that takes itself seriously, it doesn't mean that it has to not have comedy. It just means that it has to also buy into its premise. It's not a movie like something Eli Roth has made that's kind of looking at itself and going, haha, isn't this so stupid? Yeah, laugh with me. I made something stupid. Oh, yeah. Um, Excision is doing something where it's showing you comedy, but the whole time it knows what it's doing. It's not laughing at itself. It's satirical comedy and satirical horror are kind of balanced on that knife's edge and it just kind of, it veers back and forth or you do as a viewer. Like you can just lean to the right and you're in comedy land and you lean to the left and you're in horror land. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 
And then you have the unfortunate films that uh, really wanted to be horror and accidentally leaned into comedy land. Anyway, we'll go <laughs> ahead and uh, we'll, we'll uh, leave it at that for now as I move on. A couple more points before I pass it over to Brian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tying into what I just said, atmosphere is a big thing for horror movies. I think nailing the atmosphere, part of which is drawing in the audience uh, to your experience, is very, very important for a horror film. Uh, I think something like an action movie, like Marvel movies, you can get away with not having as much of an atmosphere in your movie. You can have just a bunch of set pieces you move between. But when you do that in horror and you just move from one set piece to another, you get taken out of it almost immediately if they don't have any attention paid to the atmosphere that they're creating as well. But then, but even in those action adventure movies, the set pieces have to lead one to another. I mean, if, if there's no motivation for Indiana Jones to go city to city... You kind of lose the rousing action adventure spirit a little bit. Well, and I think that's probably why a lot of these mar modern Marvel movies don't work for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> shots no, we, fired, boom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no I'm actually good. a big Marvel fan. We're not going to get into that too much. We're both big Marvel fans. We just have opinions, okay? We just uh, have opinions. Yeah, right. Nothing, nothing too crazy <laughs> here. Uh, I'm going to do uh, two more real quick. Uh, one of them is that uh, I think to be a very good horror movie. You want to avoid relying on tropes too much. You want to make sure that you're not being predictable. Uh, I think that's an especially big concern for horror. Uh, a lot of these, like I said, you can apply to any movie to just make them a good movie, but they are also really applicable, especially to this genre, um, because part of what I mentioned above of the imagery needing to be there, um, it can get tropey in this kind of cyclical nature, like I'd mentioned, but you want to avoid overusing it. You want to avoid getting to a place where someone goes, oh yeah, I know exactly when the next jump scare is going to happen. Uh, that puts you in a pretty bad spot. Uh, you get almost certainly moved to the schlock pile for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, formula can be comfortable, but formula, boy, can be really, really boring. It can be yeah. so boring. And I think, I mean... Less so than action movies, but I think being bored in a horror movie is, is kind of a death knell. I mean, it's, it's almost the opposite of what you want to be happening. Oh, that's true. Um, it's, yeah, no, at their heart, uh, it is entertainment. Um, well, movies, it's also, it's also think, tension and excitement oh, yeah. for horror. Um, not necessarily excitement in the same way that an action movie is, but tension, I think I'll say. Um, which boring, boredom can be kind of read yeah. as an opposite to tension in a way, so... I don't think there's many filmmakers that uh, that would not put entertainment first right. in anyone. Right. Like, gosh, even the most stuffy art house director understands that, you know, yeah. it's cinema. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then the very last thing is just kind of a catch all um, to make it a good horror movie. You also want the qualities of what makes other films good. So you still want good actors. You still want a good script. You want good pacing horror movies. Listen to me. Good pacing. Very important. Uh, and good visuals. Uh, and I'm not going to go into that too much because, again, these are the broad strokes that are going to make any film good. Um, but I mention it because there's a lot of really good horror movies that kind of fall flat on one or more of these fronts. You know those horror movies that you think, wow, this is a really good premise. The visuals are super good, uh, but the acting is just terrible. Um, or even on the flip side where you might have a really good cast, you might have a really good script, but um, the things that you're seeing are just cheap or not not scary um so you know catch all like i said just make a good movie if, if you're making a horror movie make sure you know how to make a movie first that's true i was um 
God, you just reminded me. Sorry, tangent time. Woo. I was watching, uh, let me save you for a sec. <laughs> uh, tangent time. I Go was watching it. this interview. It was between uh, John Landis and uh, John Carpenter and uh, Cronenberg, David Cronenberg. And they mentioned this one uh, thing where it was back in the day when all of the effects were shitty, all of the actors had to be really good. Right. And now, the now being in the 80s when they were doing this interview, and they were like, now all the effects are great and all the <laughs> acting is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, incredible. Of course, of, of course, like... Um, Cronenberg and Carpenter mm -hmm. yeah. say like they are the only ones that are allowed to say that. Yeah. Like if there were anybody else in that room, you know, I'd be like, shut up. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean they really just, just reminded me of that real quick. That, where is, that is hilarious. When the effects were terrible, like in Doctor Who, man, you really had to step it up to sell that shit. You had to make it work. You had to make it work. Exactly. All right, well, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you then. Uh what makes Oops. a horror movie good, Brian? Okay. Well, for me, it's a lot of the the flavor of what it's trying to do is you are taking a journey into the subconscious. Um, horror is your guide to the underworld. It is Caron guiding you on the, on the river of the dead. Oh, wow. We are going into your subconscious, so it's kind of about how good of a guide you were on that. What did you show me? Uh, That's a good point. Right. I like that. Exactly. So there's there's been a lot of these, like... And that's, I think, why I'm a lot, little forgiving, where if you just took me somewhere I've never been before, like, like bravo, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Mm, uh, okay. So I think you'll find, find a lot of my taste is just, like, the strangest, most unique places I've been to cinematically are the ones that uh, respond the most, or that resonate the most with me. Sure, get the most response from me. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. So... Yeah, for me, I'm kind of looking for that uh, that deeper meaning. I kind of I really want you to to dig, and um, kind of getting at uh, what horror does well is that it's also has that subversive element. Is that we're probably getting at those kind of deeper conditions that a lot of other genres or stories don't necessarily want to touch. It's a lot of the grimier, you know, it's the uh, the underside of of the uh it's doing your shadow work <laughs> absolutely so it's 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 not only mm -hmm. making sure it takes you on an interesting journey but it's taking you on a journey that other movies uh, aren't willing to go on exactly got it um which also is kind of the weird appeal of it is yeah. that you've signed up for this thing that's you know it's Un unpleasant it's, <laughs> it's kind of unpleasant <laughs> right. um but do you get catharsis out of it? Is oh, yeah. it is it kind of a, a ritual of uh, does it release something from you? Right. When you go through it, what kind of experience are are kind of you having? Um, and for me, I kind of want that journey, and it kind of depends on how good of a guide you were. I don't really care if you leave me in the depths. You know, sure. some movies you just kind of go down into the darkness, and you're kind of left in a pit. It's more or less fine. I kind of uh, like that, actually. I, I know, I, <laughs> I know. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but I mean, uh, just so you all are aware as well, viewers, I love horror movies that just don't have any kind of resolution, like like happy endings. I love horror movies that you just get the bad end. Everyone dies, or uh, it it gets worse, you know, by the end. Uh, and it's very hard to pull that off in a way that also feels satisfying. Uh, but when it happens, oh man, that is the that is a peak horror movie experience for me. 
Yeah, it is. And I think it also really kind of helps define my change or die definition. Right. It's it's the ones that people don't change. Yep. Um, and you kind of get left there. It's uh, That's when, kind of when the you were exactly movie. the yeah. true horror movie, when you are unable to deal with that thing, you know, that kind of deep psychological scar and it, it took over your whole life and kind of, you know. And, you know, interestingly enough, that's actually how Cabin in the Woods ends, too, <laughs> is they just lose. Yeah. Uh, which might be one of the reasons why I like it so much. Now, that I've never actually realized that before, but that, that could be part of it. Exactly. That also had this weird observer effect where it was, right. yeah, right. you're trying to do you the in. ritual and right. there's a point to the ritual and they're never they're never going to escape it because it's so important that it just gets carried out. Yep. Yep. It's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, another quality that I'm looking for is um, I think sometimes I differentiate between horror versus scary. Okay. Scary for me is the kind of immediate what you feel on the tension as you're watching it. Heart pounding. Yeah, heart pounding. Um, and that's fun. And I think that's the physical reaction that a lot of people are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's the it's that creepy feeling later. Oh. It's, uh, it's kind of what's going to keep me up laying in bed. It's kind of what's what I wake up thinking about i want that uh that dreading horror mm. scary scary is this really immediate thing um that kind of comes from the movie itself uh it's sure. it jumping at you it's the, the tension you know the hair on the back of your neck sure but it's that deeper thought it's that deeper kind of psychological thought that something was wrong it showed me something it mm. boy it showed me some new way to look at something and it's horrible and i never saw that in the world before but now i can't unsee it <laughs> i love that but, point actually because that does kind of build on and take a di- in a different direction <clears throat> uh you know me wanting the horror movie to be scary i actually like that a lot that's that's a that's a good way to think of it man. so boy i think that's yeah that's mostly for me man cool, cool. i just it needs to meet that uh, that flavor all right well i think that's Pretty much good on our descriptions then. Um, You have both of the definitions uh, from Brian and I about what makes a horror movie good for us. And so we're going to move on to the final segment of our main section here, um, which is going to be examples of horror movies that really work for us, that we think are genuinely good horror movies. Again, kind of building on the principles that we've already shared with you guys here today. So I'm going to start off here. And I have a list of uh, about four that really um, codify what I think is amazing about the horror genre. So my first one is hereditary. Um, if you are a friend of mine, you have heard me talk about hereditary at some point over the last couple years uh, since it came out. I saw it only once in theater, but it left such a lasting impression on me that despite having the Blu-ray, I um, have not watched it again <laughs> uh, because it really scared the crap out of me. So already ding, ding, ding did great on that front. Um, I remember seeing that in the theater as well. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, I like distinctly remember the theater experience almost more than the movie at this point. Cause oh man, boy, the, it, people jumped. Dude. Okay. So people spoiler jumped. alert, spoiler yeah. alert. Anybody who hasn't seen hereditary cover yeah. your ears for a couple of seconds. Okay. They covered when the girl's head gets knocked off. Oh my mm. God. I can't, I remember people and it was like a, <gasps> through the entire theater. And that was when I knew, all right, baby, we are doing this. And from then on, the movie never let go, no breaks at all. Um, It's a perfect horror film for me. It's very scary, has amazing imagery. It's shocking without being schlocky. 
no over-the-top reliance on tropes, even though it does go into kind of a Rosemary's Baby sort of culty thing. It doesn't feel played out to me. They brought it in really organically. Um, and really incredible filmmaking, too. I mean, this is a film that looks gorgeous. It's what I've got it would it's what started getting people calling Ari Aster. Um, the oh, and of course I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh Tenenbaums, uh what's that? Oh, Wes Anderson. Yeah, the Wes Anderson of horror, uh, because of just his incredible mastery of cinematography, of color. Um it's 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 very near a perfect horror movie to me. And everything that I have on this list, with the exception of my very last <clears throat> entry, are gonna be kind of what I consider the 10 out of 10s of horror, basically. He's, um, the things that I rate the highest for my personal taste. True. Uh, I appreciate the hell out of Ari Aster, too. Oh, I think so he's good. so daring in his subject matter and mm-hmm. how he pursues it. Nothing is just window dressing. Nothing is just mentioned. Like, if he makes a movie about grief, like, my God, it's really about grief. Relentless, you might say. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And not in a superficial way at all. No, no. It comes uh, off very honest. Yes. Very honest filmmaker, a very driven filmmaker, and a very talented filmmaker and uh, it was actually the ridiculously high accolades that i have for hereditary that i think made midsummer chafe me a little bit because it's a very different film Uh, and it's not even really fair of me to have had those expectations necessarily but it is what it is anyway second film i have on here ringu uh, the original ring from yeah. Japan, the very first one. Uh, Bryant, actually being the kind soul that he is, uh, got me the 4K remaster of the original Ringu for um, the last Christmas? Yeah. For last Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and let me tell you guys, if you have not seen the original ring, especially the remaster, uh, Ringu, the Japanese version, it is a fantastic film. Oh, man. This is the film that made me realize, made me finally understand just why um, the Japanese ghost girl stuck around for so long in all the in, in horror across you know the East and the West. Um, it has amazing pacing, doles everything out just perfectly along the film. Good kind of not necessarily mystery because you're not ever wondering what's going on, but a sense of tension, absolutely. Um, perfect atmosphere and imagery that's so iconic. Uh, it had so much staying power. Uh, that it really helped birth that genre in its entirety. Totally. And looking back on it, I, I could not believe how well made it was. So good. So well made. like, man, like when I, at least when I was first watching that kind of era of when J-Horror was coming, it was all VHS. Yeah. And they were not, yeah. not particularly great transfers. And boy, I don't know about you, but I had just kind of assumed they were cheaper movies. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of my which first... I think they are, but... Right, exactly. A lot of my first experiences were DVDs as well. Actually, uh, a little bit of a, an Alex tangent story time. Um, <laughs> the Grudge 2, I saw in theaters when I was probably 11. I lied to my mom about which movie I was going to, and me and my friend went and saw uh, The Grudge 2 instead, and it scared the shit out of me. So, uh, the... The Grudge Girl, uh, the, the 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 Japanese Ghost Girl, and Onryo is what they're called in Japan, um, is a like deep in my psyche thing that still terrifies me whenever I see it, no matter what. So those movies are kind of cheating for me because there's a lot of Grudge and Ring movies that are god awful, but will still kind of get to me. Uh, and it's why I will often still tell people that The Grudge is my favorite horror movie or favorite horror movie franchise. Uh, and I'm kind of getting like a distilled, um, better version of that when I'm bringing up Ringu here, um, because 
classic J-horror, especially with Ringu, has just this iconic staying power that comes from its unsettling imagery and mastery of atmosphere. That's one of the things that J-horror in its prime and still every now and then um, nailed so well was atmosphere. Um, Absolutely agreed. Um, and like I said, dude, the technical qualifications oh. of those movies uh, was really something that I had kind of ignored until right. recently, until I kind of started seeing these restorations. But um, we watched it even, together and we were kind of looking at each other like, this is really, really good. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and even apart from those two, I think ones that uh, go a little further for me, uh, Pulse and The One Missed Call. I think we can throw Dark uh, Water in there, too. And oh, yeah, Dark yeah. Water's a solid one. That's it almost is. a quieter movie as well. It is, but I think in terms of technical mastery yeah. there, it's a, it's a, it's a step above mm-hmm. uh, The Grudge. Though, you know, again, quick side note, The American Ring was done by Gore Verbinski. That's true. So That's true. You know, first Pirates and then also Cure for Wellness. He has a... I'm not going to argue Naomi Watts either. So. Sure. sure. <laughs> I kind of like... I love Naomi Watts. She's a, she's a Lynch actress. So. I'll go up to bat, I'll go up to bat yeah. for the first oh, ring yeah. in uh, the American version. I think that that was perhaps the only um, American telling of a J-horror thing that actually tried to stay close to its roots of like mm-hmm. what it meant past just the what you might call window dressing of having a ghost girl in haunted house and stuff is actually pretty good. Also a good example of PG 13 done right too. Also true. I do. I do like me a little blood and a little more extreme elements. I like it that I like my horror to be something that society is going to kind of frown upon (laughs) in a lot of ways. You want people Uh, to, you want people to go, you like that movie? Exactly. That's why. That's why I'm such a huge Saw fan. No, right. Yeah, that's how, that's how he uh, starts every conversation with new people that he meets. He goes, "Hi, have I'm you Ryan. seen Saw? Yeah, have you seen Saw is my favorite, favorite franchise. Yeah. What can I do for, for you, you today? Uh, but yeah, no, exactly. I think Ring is definitely one of those movies. I think you would see a lot more people lining up for, even mm. if they yes. didn't don't like horror. It could very well be the scariest movie they've ever seen. Oh, absolutely, really? especially it, that Ringu because it creeps. Yeah, that was one of the really really good things about that movie is that it's not in your face at all and at some point you realize that you're kind of like leaning forward a little bit you're a little a little freaked out because it um, is it plays with space really well yes it just, suggests yeah. space behind its characters yep. it's kind of something i noticed with its shot construction there was always a place for something to creep up on the uh on the characters from behind and i have learned to always watch the backgrounds of movies from being such a big j-horror fan i actually remember uh, when we were watching the Ringu uh, remaster uh, and, you know, there was just kind of a random scene and I was like, oh, there she is in the back. And we were watching with Bryant and his roommates and they were like, oh, wait, where? And so we paused it and went back and uh, happened with the, the original grudge as well. There's a lot of seeing the ghosts in the mirrors and passing windows and things like that uh, that gets picked up by more modern things like Hill House yes. and Bly Manor, which we'll get to a little bit later. That's true. Um, I know that was one of the huge things about Hill House that everybody really loved. Well, it's Because uh, you're not going to catch them all. Like, you're not. like, you can it's catch not Pokemon, some of folks. them. Yeah, exactly. But you didn't <laughs> you didn't see every single one. No, no even... Nope. I still get explained some of them where there's mm-hmm. reflections from people that aren't casting them and stuff. Yep. And you're like, I... Boy, I would have needed a still and like for you to tell me that there's something wrong about this picture to even pick up on that. Part of the benefit of it being a Netflix series is that you can literally pause and frame by frame go through it it if you wanted to. Uh, And I think that was uh, was in my like that was that was kept in mind while they were putting the ghosts in. They Mm -hmm. knew that people could pour through it if they wanted to. True. Uh, Anyway, we'll go ahead and move on just so I'm not taking too much time on my segment. The third 
10 out of 10 horror movies on my uh, radar, Alien. Um, it has a real threatening fear. Um, there's something about how Alien treats the monster as opposed to how some other movies will treat the monster where you get a very real sense of danger. Uh, and it's possibly because you're in a contained environment uh, that the alien has seemingly no weaknesses. You eventually realize that it can also melt through the goddamn ship. And then at that point, you're like, well, okay, we're really screwed. Um, but it's also that it, it's... Uh, I've, I've said that the perfect horror movie for me takes itself very seriously. Alien is an example that uh, does really well balance its levity with its horror without doing any sort of tonal breaks for me. I feel like it was very smart in how it played its comedy and it played its characters. And it was less for me uh, wanting to get a laugh out of the audience and more doing it for characterization so that when they start dying, you feel that much worse. Oh yeah, um, those characters are brilliant. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's the the everyman. Yep. Uh, for so much, especially of science fiction horror, mm -hmm. uh, they're the scientists, they're the military. Yep. If they're in space, they're Starfleet Command. Um, or I mean, an alien, uh, couriers, basically. Yes, I mean, but they're they're average kind of working. They're like truck oh, drivers. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. It's like, like the opposite of that. Exactly. Got it, got it, got it. There's none of them that are like super skilled training. There's not like a super genius. Right. Kind of thing. There is an android. Oh, oh, oh if sorry, if you yeah. haven't seen Alien uh, 1982 or whatever <laughs> it came out, uh, one of them's an android. Sorry. But yeah, but it also uses its setting very cleverly too. It's it's the most extreme isolation you can think of. Yes. In kind space. Of a, yeah. Nothing around. Nothing there to hear you scream, as it were. I had kind of compared it to the thing earlier of yes. sci-fi movies that are pure horror, and that's something that they both do, yep. is they use its uh, the research station or a spaceship as the most extreme isolation you can imagine. I mean, because what's worse from being yeah. trapped in the middle of nowhere with something that's definitely going to kill you? Unless exactly. you are um, uh, Ripley. Exactly. Then, then you might get away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, if, you, if you're lost in the middle of nowhere, that usually means you're in the woods or in the desert or right. something. In True. space, there's not even air. No, like, there's nothing. literally nothing. You're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think the really cool thing about Alien for me, uh, also just that it has really good imagery and a good monster as well, super important. Um, um, set design. My God, that world set design is seamless. Fantastic. I the mean, world is, oh, man. Yeah, if we're talking about visuals. It's hard to get better than Alien for mm -hmm. that time period. Uh, and in no small part because of uh, H.R. Uh, Geiger. H.G.? Yeah, Geiger, yeah. Ge I can't remember his second initial, but, but Geiger. It's H.R. Yeah, yeah. H.R. Yeah. Geiger. Uh, Geiger. Human uh, Resources Geiger. Yes, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> human, re human Resources, and that's why they all have to deal with humans it's, and human sexuality. Everything yes. that he draws. Um, and I think the big point here being that monster movies can often fall flat for me. Um, but the ones that do hit are the ones where the threatening nature of the monster is the true focus of the film. Uh, you can lose me a little bit on monster movies um, just in general. It's not necessarily my favorite subgenre. Like I said, I like ghosts, you know, just something about it. I think it's a flavor thing for me. But Alien does this. And I mean, aliens as monsters, you know, you could maybe split hairs there. But uh, Alien, I think, is, is an example of someone that something that really, really nails that. It's always been the most pure horror of the franchise to me as yep. well. There's something about Aliens that feels like an action movie. Well, it's definitely an action. But then movie. I'd have to I'd have to define the action genre, and I don't really care. We're, to do. we're, we're not, not. We're not going to touch we're that. We're not going. To, all right, my very my last <laughs> example before I turn it over to Bryant here. Um, Raw and Excision. 
Hey. Uh, and these are the ones that I'm not going to necessarily call them 10 out of 10s. My first three are, the, are the, right, <laughs> exactly. the, the, the first three that I mentioned are the pinnacles of horror for me. Uh, and these two are horror movies that are offbeat, funky films that end up kind of hard to categorize, uh, but nonetheless leave you feeling dread or discomfort uh, and really feeling kind of like a solemn, like contemplativeness afterward. And I think this aligns really close with what Bryant was saying about a film that makes you think for a while about a premise that you might not have wanted to think about uh, beforehand. Uh, they're both fantastic, really brilliant movies. If you haven't seen them, please go watch them. Uh, quick warning that they are both relatively graphic. Excision, uh, a little bit more so. Excision has no problem playing with stuff that you never want to see. Uh, whereas Raw is, is more graphic in the traditional sense of, you know, there's some some uncomfortable gore. Um, but they're both really, really brilliant. Neither of them are gory or slashing movies. Um, they're very, uh, very art forward. Um, yeah. I, I love those two movies as well. Those are two of my favorite movies from the past little bit. Absolutely. Um, it would probably be on my favorites list. But um, God, for the one that I really want to talk about that meets this criteria of what makes a horror movie and what does a good one do, for me, it's The Babadook. Oh, nice. I mean, I'm going real recent. I like, love it. I love I, it. Because I'm always inclined to go do something super classic to be like, kind of, this is the originator. But there's something gonna, about... I can't believe we're going to agree on one. That's amazing. <laughs> but The Babadook is this modern synthesis of what exactly what I'm looking for in these kinds of movies. Yes. Um, and to me, it just crushed it. So good. Uh, so good. I will say that was actually a little part I skipped over in my notes was when talking about Hereditary, mm -hmm. just that it's a, a, a whole section of modern horror masterpieces, and I put Witch and Babadook as well, oh, that yeah. created a cross of like horror and art film that just sings it exactly. is just incredible and i'm sorry i don't I'll, I'll no it back please you, it's all good um because yeah for me it's the babadook is almost is a complete metaphor mm, yes almost it's a, completely about the relationship between the mom and her son who is completely out of control um and she wants to love her son like uh like a mother-son relationship it's that family bond mm -hmm. uh but something has creeped up into it there is this monster, there's this specter that's in between the two people. And that's what the movie's about. The Babadook is that specter that creeps up between the interpersonal relationships between two people that spoils the whole relationship. Mm. It's this kind of ghost that you can't really get around. Well put. Um, thank you. Uh, so for me, that's that external monster that's really obviously something that's internal hmm. where she may be battling this ghost the babadook this kind of presence but what she's really battling is the idea that in her heart of hearts she really hates her own child that kind of nails your your principles was, actually in a really cool way yeah uh, and i don't mean to gloss over the hating her child part because yeah that's what makes that movie yeah, so uncomfortable, uncomfortable. If you yeah have not seen the babadook uh, absolutely, again, fantastic film. Please go watch it. This one's actually relatively accessible, too, in the sense that it's not going to scare people away by being too bloody or too and extreme. I don't think there's any blood in it. Uh, I don't... The kid might cut himself once, once or something. Okay, um, But it's not like a bloody movie. No, she does, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, it, it, that's not the point. The, you, but you're going to still feel really unsettled when the mom has these outbursts against the child who admittedly is a piece of shit, shit. kid. I mean, I was too. I can say it. I'm allowed. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you have those moments where you're just like, oh man, you're, 
the like the mom really shouldn't act that way, right? Like even when the kid is being such a you know uh, shithead, it's like he's whatever he's like six or something. It's like and and the the mom just oh man, it, it's kind of like the that side of parenting that no one wants to ever talk about. Exactly, exactly. It's that journey into that subconscious thing that you don't want to touch. It's the cellar. It's the cellar of your mind where all of those thoughts that, you know, you kind of want to leave there. Rusty meat hooks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you got to go down there. You do. Because the spare light bulbs are down there. <laughs> so you got you to gotta suck it up and look around the dark basement yeah. real quick. Exactly. And then you'll, you'll find a little light. Exactly. Um, like so, yeah. Like no, that. for me, the Babadook, it really is the new synthesis of what a perfect horror movie is. Love it. Um, she is forced to recognize that bit of herself before that relationship completely destroys her life. Um, and she needs to accept that part of herself, which was kind of the really interesting revolu- uh, resolution of it. I don't know if I kind of want to spoil it, but that movie has the most. It's kind of becoming a thing here. So yeah. like, let's just say spoiler There's alert. Spoilers. Put, on... your, put your earmuffs on if you don't want to hear the end of Babadook. Skip to like two minutes ahead. Exactly. But they don't confront the ghost. They accept the ghost. Yep. Um, and they do literally lock it in the basement. Uh, it's almost and it's like that a Shaun thing, of the Dead ending without the joke. Exactly. <laughs> kind of. Um, well, yeah, no, they accept it, and now they're forced to live with it, but it's kind of better than it destroying them from the inside out. Well, and there's no better uh, so, option, really. I mean, you always live with grief. It's kind of another movie about grief in the same way Hereditary was, just this time mm-hmm. This time in the way that grief can come between you know, a grieving mother and her child, which is uh, a really sad and frightening thing to think about exactly no it's not uh it's not a lifetime movie it's, no yeah it is not, not <laughs> it is not the most uplifting movie about motherhood you've seen you're not watching this uh, at 2 p.m at your grandma's house, house. You know, so, uh, <laughs> nope <clears throat> yeah so yeah god i just love that movie nice i don't know moving on to other favorites i kind of want to say something for uh for the more comedic horror movies okay I know, I know. You're losing me here. Uh, For me, God, one of my comfort movies, uh, Slither. Slither by James Gunn. James Gunn of The Guardian. I've actually not seen it. From The Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. He did a really, really funny movie called Slither um, that has its gross-out moments, too. That definitely has its moments that'll creep up on you. But it's really... It's really populated by just goofy movie characters. Sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of great actors kind of just killing weird roles. Uh Nathan Fillion is the town sheriff. Okay. Who's kind of doing a gosh golly gee shucks kind of like <laughs> That's pretty golden actually. Yeah. Exactly. So he's trying to deal with this alien invasion of weird squid creatures that are kind of taking over the town. Is this Watchmen? No, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, so yeah, no, for me, that's that's a great example of one that's kind of uh, getting away with both. It's really funny, but it is also kind of actually doing the groundwork and getting the horror done. Oh, withhold judgment. It in there. Uh, withhold judgment Just on me. that one, because I haven't seen it. It's fun. Again, I don't know, you may think it's a little toothless, but boy, it's got some moments that are fucking gross. And next up, I guess we're teeth. swearing no. on this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is actually something I was thinking about as well. Do you all want to hear us say it's fuck like, or not? 
Yeah, exactly. Let know. us know in the comments. I don't know. We're talking about R-rated movies. We are. We are. It's yeah. probably not a children's podcast, to be honest with exactly. you. Exactly. I'm going to regret this turning this on in the car with my mom at some point, I'm sure. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Gonna be I'm going to totally really, forget all about this. Really good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about the Babadook. Yeah, that mom fucking sucked. And yeah. and your mom just... <laughs> I got some tips about motherhood. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome back to Film Fiends, a parenting so... podcast. Oh, man. Um, another, another more comedic one I want to give a shout out to. Um, Society. Uh, oh, I've never heard of that. From late 80s, early 90s. I want to say it's like 1990, but it okay. is like so 80s. Mm. Um the premise of it is a uh, kid in kind of a rich family realizing that he's adopted and he's getting raised solely for the purpose of being sacrificed to high society. Oh, you told me about this. And high society are all these alien creatures that literally feed off the poor. <laughs> it's like sp spooky men in black. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but God, it has the the oddest sense of humor it's goofy, it's campy, and then it's just vile and disgusting. Mm. Like, it really gets gross at the end. <laughs> uh, but for me, it's a perfect example of when the subversive side meets the horror side. It's making the same point with the horror that it's making with the comedy. And I think I think you may be able to agree with me on that. It's, okay. when, it's when the comedy is just meant to break it up or for something different or for a break. Uh, it's when it's at the right angle to the kind of the rest of the movie. Sure. I feel like when it's, I feel like there's a way that comedy can reinforce the horror. Sure. If it's along the same point. I think, I think I can agree. I think if they're, they're aimed in the same direction mm -hmm. and if you're very careful about what you're using and when you're using it and your movie comes in waves, if you're specifically not doing a building mounting tension, your entire film, um, then if you're if you have points of levity throughout the film that are supposed to be there, that's totally fine. Uh, my biggest issue is when um, you have a joke or or a moment of levity that just kind of breaks the movie apart. Tone and uh, tonal consistency is so incredibly important to me, and that doesn't mean that you have to have the same tone the whole movie. I don't want everybody speaking in monotone, but um, there's just some some special care you need to give to the tone of your movie if you want it to land as a great horror movie for me. Yeah, exactly. It's really just the consistency. Consistency. And, and to keep the point across, man, if you don't have something that fits, well, people, you may be sticking somebody in a situation where they're trying to figure out how it fits into your movie. Right. And if it was just something random that you threw in there because you liked the pacing, you thought it needed a break or sure. like, yeah, it was probably detracting. Right. If it's not adding, it's detracting. It's, uh, yeah, back mm -hmm. to our good writing advice, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so at this point, my list just kind of turns into favorites. Why don't you just ramble so some off? Why, don't, why don't, don't you just hit me with like a dozen of your favorite favorites? Films? Like, okay. Let's do that. Uh, I think I was talking earlier about kind of the more awkward movies that kind of, yeah. yeah Excision, um, I know that's on there. I think May was the first one oh, of those oh, from kind of back go. in the early 2000s. Now you're getting a big one from me. If May is the one I'm thinking of, does, does May have um, Nicolas Cage? 
No, oh, okay. no, it's uh, she's she's kind of she's the doll girl. She's oh, kind of the awkward okay, okay, girl okay, that has cool. trouble making friends. So she's Mary? going to. There's one recently. I feel like there's an M name that has Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, uh, Mandy. Mandy, that's what Mandy. I was thinking. Of. Mandy was it was uh, kind of really cool visually, but there was a part of it that kind of dragged for me. I'm going on record here, Nicholas Cage. If you're listening right now, I'm very sorry. I really hate Nicholas Cage. <laughs> uh, I don't like his movies, and I'm sorry, viewers. I'm just very opinionated. Uh, I just don't like his face. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just don't like his face. I think Nicolas Cage has a very unique acting style. I think it's like German expressionism or like an actor like Klaus Kinski or Juliet Messina. But it is a definitely its own style. I can see how people don't like it, but I think he is doing something really special and unique. Anyway, this Keep is going. the Nicolas Keep Cage going. podcast. Uh, boy, May. Cage May is cast. one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's kind of tagline is, if you can't find a friend, make one. Mm. Uh, its advice was kind of given to uh, the mother taught her how to make dolls okay, uh, and stuff. So she's always had this making her own friends kind of. Uh, okay, okay. Kind of vibe. So it has that psychological aspect to it where it's kind of dealing with the social alienation and... Sure. kind of nervousness and anxiety uh, kind of issues. Uh, and it just really digs at them in the most uncomfortable way. Mm, okay. Um, I'm not exactly sure how much of it I want to give away, but again, spoilers, it be turns into <laughs> making her own perfect friend out of the bits and pieces of the random people in her life. Oh, we're doing modern Frankenstein. It's, uh, it's pretty much modern Frankenstein Very where there's cool. somebody who she really likes his arms mm. and there's this person where she really likes his hair and yada yada. So Well, now I kind of do want to see it because that sounds good. Yeah, she can put together the perfect person. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that kind of gets into that journey into the subconscious that I really like. Totally. Uh, and it's kind, of, um, it's kind of a descendant of Carrie. Which I think oh, okay. is way, way up there for me. It's really hard to say what's number one, but Carrie may be top three. Mm, wow. That's, yeah. Again, like That's I got to go classic for that. I like it. Um, boy, what is there to say about it? I think it's just perfect. If you haven't seen Carrie, if you, um, you prob or, or read Carrie, mm -hmm. I mean, you probably should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a long read, and the original film's not that long either. I mean, hour 30 at most. And it's just so archetypal um, when kind of talking about the um, a certain kind of female lead right. that you kind of see kind of uh, carried over in a lot of more modern things. Even kind of like a Ginger Snaps has carried a lot over. of Carrie in it. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Carrie, fucking love it. If you haven't seen it, you got to get to it. Go check it out. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, another classic that is just... Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, really, really good. Uh, it's older, so... If you're like me and you like your modern effects, your modern sensibilities, your uh, modern adaptations to what it means to uh, do a horror film, uh, you're going to have to suspend your disbelief a little bit more. Uh, I actually only saw the original Black and White Night of the Living Dead, I think last year, uh, watching with uh, with Bryant here. Mm -hmm. we, were doing, uh, we were doing spooky movie nights uh, in October. Yeah, yeah. And um, fantastic film. But, you know, the zombies are kind of just 
people walking stiffly. Uh, they're, they're, they're the originals. Very, yeah, I, I think they're, they're referred to as ghouls. Yeah, I don't even right. know if they have they might, the zombie word. <laughs> might not even have the Z word yet. Yeah. Um, still very good, but it did. T- it, I had to buy in a little bit more than than with uh, more modern stuff, and that's not a bad thing. Just be ready for that if you are or have similar sensibilities. No, it is. But for me, it kind of falls into that uh, the horror versus scary. No, it's definitely probably not going to scare you, especially right. if you're used to the modern movies. But if you kind of take a second, think about what it's saying about society breaking down. Uh, I think the horror of that is absolutely still relevant. I think it can still get to people. And I think we're still living through a lot of the issues that Night of the Living Dead's bringing up. Ugh, unfortunately. It's, it's a situation that, boy, you should be able to board all the windows of that house up and kind of be able to deal with it. But the people cannot work with each other. They can't agree on simple plans. Yep. Uh, and they undercut each other and undermine each other and it dooms everybody. The ending is also way more relevant than I'm comfortable with currently. Again, spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, The the final uh, living um, character is a black man. uh, And when the cops arrive to, you know, rid the house of the zombies, they see the black man in the window and without you know, making any effort to find out whether he's a zombie or not, they just shoot him and call it a day, Uh, which as you're watching it is kind of like, oh, wow, that makes sense back when they're shooting it, but also currently, and I wish it didn't. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, and it really drives the point home that, well, you got to watch out for the other people. Yeah, zombies, The zombies were never as big a deal as everybody else that you were stuck in the room with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is the real horror of it. I think it lasts, and I think if you were to just kind of give it give it a sec and give it some thought, you could really see that it has, the ideas behind it have a lot of staying power. Absolutely. Uh, one of my other last favorites, I gotta say Videodrome. Mm, Videodrome okay. is, um, for a horror person, uh, for somebody that's seen a lot, and, you know, horror people, we can kind of get to this, like, oh, nothing scares me anymore, or, sure. like, you know. Desensitized. You know, exactly. Desensitized a bit. We can kind of be like, yeah, I kind of dare you to scare me kind of thing. You can't right. scare me anymore. I've seen it all. Here's Martyrs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think you kind of have to do is you then kind of have to raise the stakes and uh, and talk about it more like, well, have you ever thought about what watching all of these horror movies is doing to your mind? Right. To your mentally, your psychology. Uh, and that's kind of what Videodrome does. It's the uh, James Woods. He plays a, uh, he's on kind of a public service TV station and he's trying to find stuff to fill his TV channel with. And he finds this pirate signal that's all scrambled and it's just snuff films. It is just the most hardcore material and he becomes completely obsessed with it to the point where it starts changing his own body and it starts getting all Cronenberg-y. So it's this whole, like, yep, the violence that you watch in your entertainment and media slowly changes you. And in a Cronenberg movie, it has a physical dimension of the body horror of actually changing him. You are what you eat. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, Cronenberg is the master of that kind of stuff, too. I mean, his stuff's always going to be physically unsettling. You're going to get some nice body horror. Uh, and yeah. he's very aware of the observer effect, yeah. too. Of uh, yeah, of it really raises the stakes and makes you think about yourself actually watching this stuff too. 
as a fan because you can really easily put yourself in the James Woods situation. Uh, where, yeah, because you are also the person seeking out all of these most awful things to watch all of the time. I so, do do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a nice little psychological trick to kind of mess with a longtime horror fan. Sure. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely stuff. one of my favorites. Yeah, so uh, all, all good stuff. All good stuff. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of wraps up uh, that section for us. I and, think so. And with that, actually, that's kind of the end of our main topic as well. So uh, that was what makes a horror movie good. We went mm-hmm. over what makes a horror movie for us, uh, what our personal opinions are of uh, how to make a good movie using those principles, and then some examples of the movies that have been most effective for us uh, in one way or another, um, kind of all tying that together. So uh, we're going to move on to our second recurring segment of the podcast. This one is going to be called, I know what you saw last summer. Bum, bum. <laughs> the, uh, the, the joke here being that basically we're going to talk about things that we've watched recently that we don't necessarily need to devote a whole episode to, but just to kind of keep up on uh, the fun horror things that have made it onto our TV. Absolutely. No, like I've said, I'm always uh, just trying to watch stuff all the time. Right. Uh, especially lately, it's been all horror movies. So uh, You should see his film journal. I mean, 200? You, <laughs> you passed 200? Yes, I passed 200 earlier Nuts. this month. Uh, that's on the year 2020. Uh, Love it. Love it. It's, and that's think... only the things he decided to start writing about. So yes. <laughs> that's, I mean, the... he's got a lot. He's got a lot going here. Uh, but yeah, I want to say the one I saw in the last week that uh, really stood out to me was The Loved Ones mm. from uh, Sean Byrne out of Australia. Mentioned a lot of Australian movies here today, kind of with like the Babadook. The yeah, shows. exactly. Uh, but yeah, another one of those. God, I don't even know how to describe it or what I like so much about it. Uh, yeah, it had that high school element. It had that kind of... Um, disaffected kind of loner protagonist uh kind of similar to the tortured protagonist of like a carrie or may sure uh, so that could have been why i responded so heavily to it is it kind of had um had a lot of the same echoes of those older movies that i liked uh yeah totally and i mean it has also no shortage of uh you know messed up things happening in it as well to, to kind of put the cherry on top sure um imagery imagery was spot on Mm -hmm. just um, juxtaposition there was nice i think that was actually maybe the name of the game for loved ones is juxtaposition um because it's taking this like almost sickly sweet uh high school relationship and then you know doing the horror thing of of course the one of the the people involved in the relationship is taking it a step two steps three steps too far uh but then actually goes even past that conclusion uh, when the girl's dad gets involved, right. and then it starts getting real, real weird. It is. And there was also another odd thing about it was the B storyline had, like, nothing horror about it. Sure. There's, like, the main character has this awful prom night experience where he's held hostage by this girl that he turned down to the prom. Right. Uh, but she's going to have her perfect night anyways kind of thing. Anyway, his friend asks out the goth girl of the school, and they have this ridiculous prom night like any other kind of high school movie. Right. And juxtaposes really, really contrasting with uh, the actual kind of horror and torture situation of the other friend, though. Uh, which was kind of weird when I saw it. I wasn't uh, exactly sure what the point of that was. I will say that I think maybe that, uh, Mm -hmm. going out on a limb here, might be the weakest aspect of the movie. I think if we're saying that... Uh, in my opinion, like the the crew, the crux of the film is the juxtaposition. I think that might have been 
one step too far in that direction. If the the director or the creative, you know, team, if their whole point was to uh, make those two really diametrically opposed storylines or scenes, um, I just don't know if that was really maybe necessary. You already get a lot of that when you have the, you know, the main kid tied to the chair in a tuxedo as the girls like putting, I want to say she puts like party hats on them or something. At one yeah. Point. Yeah. You know, you, it's like, it's already, you're watching it and it's dissonant enough without having to have that second uh, group of characters. Yeah, and I think you have a lot of the differences of the main kid and um, and the girl, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, they're, because they're he's, pretty opposed. Yeah. yeah, he's going through the trauma of his dad dying. Right, right. And stuff, so he has his own kind of stuff that he's trying to work through, and so is she, but there is this, yeah, it's so different how they just go about trying to fix themselves and how they deal with their own mental health issues. Yep. It's, yeah, actually, now I'm kind of talking through it. It's kind of about two very different people kind of trying to work through their own mental health issues and the the collision that results. And one gets violent. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, that was the loved ones for me. What have you seen recently that was good? Yeah, so um, I admittedly have been super, super busy lately. Um, still working, you know, doing a full day job. And then, uh, in a lot of my spare time, actually been setting up the, the socials for, uh, film fiends and, uh, trying to get all of the logistics worked out. Um, but in between that, uh, actually recently found out with the release of Bly Manor that my, uh, girlfriend had not seen haunting uh, of Hill house. Yeah. So, uh, we watched, uh, the first five episodes together, uh, over the weekend. Uh, there's a total of eight, so we didn't quite get through it, but, um, watching it again, um, Hill House, uh, we're actually, I should make a quick pause here to note that uh, we're not going to talk about a ton of TV shows on here because uh, my dear friend Bryant here, not as big into the TV mm. series uh, as the movie format. Uh, he's, he's a big I film. I will say dude. I did just finish Lovecraft Country. Oh, wow. Yeah, talking about stuff we just recently saw, the finale of Lovecraft Country was uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. You know what? Wow. That was a okay. solid... That was solid. Talk about putting my foot in my mouth. No, you are absolutely (laughs) right, though. No, because he's the guy, like, I swear I would love to watch a horror series, but they just don't land for me. I am so sorry, American Horror Story. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually, yeah, bring that up. That's that's super interesting. I did watch uh, all three of the first seasons all the way through. Uh, That was uh, through Coven, the Fourth one was the circus one, I think, which I was not super into. The fifth one was was Hotel, which I watched all the way through. Coincidentally, features features my favorite actress, Alexandra Daddario. If you're listening, oh, okay. hit us up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, have not watched six or seven. I watched a little bit of six. That was one that was very topical. Had a lot of uh, Trump uh, stuff going on. Um, it was a little on the nose. I'll say that much. Uh, but anyway, going into stuff that we've watched recently, I have been watching a lot. I love TV series. Uh, for me, I think they're a, an amazing format. Uh, I think they give you a lot of room to tell longer and more complex stories. Uh, I think movies obviously are fantastic and they have their place, but they're also the strongest for me when they're completely self-contained, which means that you fundamentally have a shorter uh, timeline that you can tell a good movie in. And when there's a story that demands a longer timeline from you, for me, I would rather have a TV series that is more laid back and willing to explore those avenues than doing like a trilogy. Um, But that also gets into some issues of like, 
because film production takes so long and you have a trilogy, you might be working with different directors. You might be working with different investors along the way. You might have more money wrapped in, which means that it gets more commercial, things like that. I mean, it's all, you know, all kind of part of the pie there. Um, but point being, uh, Hill House is a very, very strong uh, horror series. And in rewatching it, um, the biggest thing that I can say about it is that its strength is actually not necessarily in its imagery, uh, but in its characters. Uh, it has very, very well-written character stories, and you could take out the horror element completely, and it would actually still be a really good, really interesting character study. Um, and that's kind of almost what they do with like a, a part of the story making you wonder, like, oh, you know, how much of this ghost stuff really did happen? Uh, the main... Mm-hmm. Um, actor the main kid who's like the star of the first episode his whole thing is that now he writes uh you know true confessional horror stories because he doesn't believe in ghosts so he goes around and and like collects people's ghost stories and it's a really cool commentary i think on the series as a whole of like the first character you're being introduced to doesn't even really believe in the whole thing so should you um no that's true i think uh the characters in hill house I admittedly didn't watch the whole thing, but the characters in Hill House was definitely, I felt like, yes, okay, I can finally see that this is a horror story that can fill up eight hours. Right. Because uh, it's kind of hard. You have a you have a genre where kind of it's about the characters getting picked off one by one. And, terse. Uh, terse is a word that comes to mind when you're doing yeah. horror stuff. Um, so how do you last? How do you last a season absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Um, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's difficult. It's um and as much as I love the uh, the serial format, I mean, I agree. In terms of horror especially, it's keeping that interest and keeping that tension especially is very difficult. Uh, I think Hill, Hill House did it very, very well. Hill House had a couple of twists that were fantastic. Uh, and when it does use its horror imagery, it's relatively effective. I'm not going to say it hits every time, um, but you also do kind of get the feeling that it's not really the point, you know? Mm-hmm. So fun in that way, it's a little bit, um like to the side of what i would normally enjoy but i think it does enough good that it really drew me in and made me a fan uh and so bly manor i actually found out about a little bit late uh i hadn't realized that it had dropped until my friends started talking about it a week or two ago and um only got around to it uh, a couple of days ago uh and so very interesting they're actually doing an american horror story style thing here where it's a lot of returning actors and actresses doing a completely different story recast accents and all which uh is a big pet peeve of mine when if you cannot do a good accent do not play the role i'm not going to say any names or or point out any particular people in this one because there's no one that's really really egregious um but especially after coming like directly off the back of Hill House. Uh, there's one character, for example, who uh, I'm not actually sure of his his nationality in real life. So if he's Irish, I, I apologize. But his Irish accent in Bly Manor was kind of immediately like, oh, that sounds a little weird. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, still a very, very fun, very interesting series. Uh, I'm on episode four out of nine this time, which I thought was very interesting. A nine episode season. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. That is one of um, my kind of favorite parts about streaming sometimes. Yeah, is I like a, I like variable variable episode lengths. Yeah, totally. I think that's been a, an uh, hour versus fifty minutes. You could do it. Like you can just in the same series. Oh yeah, exactly. Super and not nice. having to program your show to have a commercial break. Get, yeah. Oh my god. Industry like, yeah. for industry professionals, please. Yeah. 
please let us just write something mm. without having commercial breaks. Thanks. I know you need the money. I know. Yes. But, <laughs> but man, that is crazy. When I learned about writing for TV, how you have to write those in, very difficult. Yeah. Um. So yeah, both really fun series, uh, really interesting, definitely worth a watch. They're not super scary. So if you're just getting into horror, they're a really, really good way to get into it. Though I think that Hill House is the scarier of the two. And if you're just getting into them, Hill House might have a couple moments that do get you. Um, lastly, I did just watch Juon, uh, the uh, uh, series on Netflix. Uh, it's called Juon Origins. Uh, so it's the prequel basically to uh, The Grudge, uh, which uh, the Japanese for the name for The Grudge being Juon. And uh, it's six episodes. They're only 30 minute episodes actually. Yeah. So it's relatively short. You can get through it in one sitting. And... Um, it was very interesting. I think they did a lot of things right. I'm unsure as to why it's called Origins because looking at the story of the rest of the franchise, there's it actually has nothing to do with Kayako or um, um, Toshio, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, but it's a very interesting, like, happens before the rest of the stuff kind of um, grudge story in the same house and everything. Uh, so maybe it's just trying to hammer the point home of like, there's been a lot of horrible stuff that's happened in this house and that's why it's like super haunted. And that's when you get into grudge to American territory of like the haunting is spreading out through the rest of the world and it gets like not so craziness. Maybe they're trying <laughs> to drive that home of like, uh, that's why this house is so haunted, not just because of Kayako, uh, but also because of, uh, all of the other various, uh, horrible, more things. residual ghost energy. Right, yeah, right, exactly. The, the ectoplasm is positively caked yes, yes. onto the walls here. Um, so, but honestly, as a fan of those franchises, it was uh, it was very good, uh, very entertaining. Not without its faults, uh, but I think uh, definitely if you're a fan of The Grudge or The Ring, it's it's worth checking out. Fantastic! I know I did an episode or two of that, so I may, I may finish that out. I would recommend it. I would recommend it. Okay, cool. So I think we're about wrapping up here. We're going to do one last little segment here, and that's just uh, we're releasing this on Halloween. So we wanted to talk a little bit about Halloween, um, kind of our traditions and uh, things that we might maybe recommend to watch or, uh, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about Halloween. What do you th what do you think, Brian? You got anything for us? Well, I have an inkling that you may be as big of a fan of watching horror movies on Halloween as I am. You know, <laughs> I, I think yeah. you may be. You know, it's a, it's a definitely something that I uh, partake in here and there. It's, so, it's um, so for me, it's kind of like, uh, boy, am I watching it kind of uh, more by myself or with some experienced horror fans, or do I have to like kind of please a room? Right. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, I like so that. gosh, uh, boy, when I'm uh, trying to please a room, I gotta tell you the one I go for now is trick-or-treat oh yeah i mean it's in the name it was, folks yeah exactly um boy i think they really nailed it on that one that was kind of a halloween movie to end all halloween movies sure uh, i love the anthology version of it um because yeah uh boy everyone can be kind of chilling everyone can be partying mm. uh you can kind of lose a story and come back in the next one sure uh it hits a lot of great tropes yeah totally uh god it hits yeah so many just classic, uh, iconic horror things. Uh, you hit and trick or treat. So uh, love it. I love yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. No, it's just your great mixed bag for you. Totally. Just like something that kind of hits all the notes. I will say, uh, if we're talking about a horror movie to put on, uh, this one I'll put on whether I'm pleasing a crowd, whether I got a horror veterans, or whether I'm watching it by myself. <laughs> uh, it's recently become a tradition of mine, uh, thanks to my lovely friend Bryant. Actually, yeah. Return of the Living Dead. 
Um, <laughs> so this movie, if you're not familiar with it, of course, you've definitely heard the name before, the tropes of the name. Uh, it's, a, it's a Living Dead movie, right? It's a zombie movie. Um, this one was made in the 80s, and it's very, um, it's like purposely kind of a comedy, but it's it's also more than that. It's a very funny, but still very spooky and overall, just very entertaining film. The first time I watched it, I remember I was laughing so hard. It was so entertaining. Um, but it also has a nobody wins ending. That's like totally the opposite of what you'd expect from a comedy movie like that. Things just get worse and worse and worse. And you can't even really call it a like a funny zombie movie, really. It is if you're going to get, you know, split hairs here. But take it from the guy who said, I like my horror without <laughs> comedy to then tell you this is the Halloween movie, folks. This movie is perfect to have a couple beers with, not take too seriously uh, and just enjoy yourself. I, I really, really like it. It is. It's a total classic. And I think uh, we kind of hit on it. It can be really difficult to explain the appeal of a movie like that. Right. Because, uh, again, it kind of has that 80s campiness. Right. Um, I know about halfway through the movie, it introduces a group of uh, punk rockers who are uh, <laughs> some of the questionable acting. My and favorite, my favorite yes. part of that movie. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. They're so good. There's also it's riotously just, funny. Just uh, for, it's for, gross. <laughs> the effects actually are great. The effects are really good. It's the first movie to have a zombie go. Brain. Exactly. So it started that whole thing. Um, there's, uh, girls get naked. So be aware of that <laughs> as you're watching it. If, uh, you know, a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing for you. But, uh, yeah, it really comes together to just make this, uh, incredibly entertaining film that I think is perfect for Halloween. I don't think you want something, you don't want to watch Hereditary on Halloween. I mean, it's not, you don't want something that's really going to hit you and leave you sitting there like, oh man, reevaluating your life. You do want something a little bit fun, a little bit uplifting, uh, and Return of the Living Dead is absolutely that. And just like Trick or Treat, you can kind of come in and out of it. You don't really have to watch the whole thing. Um, you could pop out when the punks get there and pop back in where, when they're trying to cremate one of the zombies and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, that movie's just riotously it's fun. So like fun. you said, it like sometimes so when you get a room of people and a couple beers in, it can be hard to throw on something that's going to hypnotize the whole crowd. You're and not putting on the shine. Like, yeah, so... Exactly. Return of the Living Dead is is a blast. It's, yeah. Yep. 80s gold. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, so just in terms of Halloween stuff, I mean, unfortunately, we're a little bit old to trick or treat. But, you know, if you're still doing that, go get yourself some candy. Go have fun. If you're a little bit older, have yourself a couple of beers, a couple of cocktails, whatever you like. Uh, I bought Halloween decorations for the first time this year. Exactly. Uh, so I'm going to be putting those up. Uh, you know, by Thanks. the time this airs, they'll be they'll be in full swing. I made sure to do a jack-o'-lantern, actually, just, uh, you know, I'm not expecting any trick-or-treaters, but I thought, you know, you got to right. keep that tradition up sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I did, uh, I did the, the scream mask, the ghost face killer. And in I fact, you may that. be able to see that on our Instagram. So, yeah, so go I ahead think, and I give that I a, think I'll throw that on the Instagram. Yeah, give that a look. It may actually, by the time you hear this, it may already be It'll up. It'll probably be already uh, be up there. Yeah, so throw us a comment. See what you, you know, let us see your jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah. Uh, and, um... Tell us what you think. So, you know, Halloween 2020 looking a little bit different than the other years. But uh, from us here at Film Fiends, we just want to let you guys know it's still possible to have fun. Uh, and whether you are zooming in with your friends or whether you're safely distance uh, outside or in a living room, throw on trick or treat. 
throw on Return of the Living Dead, have yourself a couple of beers or some candy if that's your preference, and uh, don't let it stop you from carving some pumpkins. Exactly. All right, exactly. and, I, uh, and I think with that, we are just about I out. That. I think so. Do we want to uh, talk about next episode real quick? Yeah, real quick. Heck. So uh, you may have caught it in a spoiler alert Alerts, that yes. we uh, did earlier in the episode. Good. Our next uh, episode here on uh, Film Freaks is going to be Scream Queens. Ooh, yeah. Everyone's favorite. Yes, we're <clears> going to be talking about... Uh, this trope uh, in horror, what is a scream queen? What does that mean? The iconic uh, female characters in the horror genre. Exactly. It's a huge part of horror culture. I Most movies wouldn't even exist without the character. So. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Is it just a last girl or is it something more? Exactly. I think... I think I have a wider, again, I think I have a wider definition than you do. We're going to look into it. We're going to look into so. it. All righty. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight at Film Fiends. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween. This is Alex signing off. This is Bryant. Thank you for listening. <laughs>